0: As we reopen, don't you want your pocket of America to still feel like its own? Where places with the best barbecue or where you can dress like a rock star or the one with the biggest donut are finding new ways online and in person to be there for you. A small town feeling where your friends, instead of that chain, still recommend their guide. So when you bring your idea to everyone, remember, GoDaddy is here to help you make it happen with websites, marketing tools and guidance for free. Learn more at GoDaddy.com.
2: From Washington DC every Wednesday from three to four PM for an hour-long Generation Progress Takeover.
0: Check us out at genprogress.org or on Twitter at genprogress.
2: Hello and welcome to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. Uh, I am your co-host Charlotte Hancock, and I'm your other co-host Edwith Theogene. Edwith, hello. So good to hear your voice. I miss working in the same office as you every day. (laughs) I know. Me too. Uh, Well, today we are 48 days out from November 3rd. Uh, And in case you've been, you know, um, living in a hole or otherwise preoccupied, uh, that is the last day to cast your ballot in the general election. Um, This election will look a little different, obviously, than elections in years past, given the additional challenges posed by the COVID-19 pandemic. So, for example, some states have expanded vote-by-mail options. Uh, Some states have made the decision to close certain in-person polling places. Um, and many people who have served as poll workers in recent elections, these workers are often older and retired, uh, might not feel safe spending the day, might reasonably not feel safe spending the day at an in-person polling place this year, um, So even though it's not always easy to get up to date information on voting right now, it is critical that each person who intends to vote this November makes a plan like right now (laughs) to do so. So whether that is casting an early ballot in person, which many states now allow, or requesting a mail in ballot and pledging to return it as soon as possible, or choosing uh, to vote in person on election day, the most important thing is that you know how you're voting and make sure you've taken all the necessary steps to make sure that's gonna happen.
0: Um, Edwith, I'm gonna put you on the spot for a second. Do you have a voting plan? Well, I'm planning to vote early and to vote in person. Um, I'm gonna be wearing a mask and using hand sanitizer and keeping a safe distance from folks, but I'm excited to go in and vote in person um, and vote early and I'm excited to also have the opportunity to vote early. So smart, so smart. Avoid those lines, do it early, love it. Um,
2: Well, to talk more with us about the upcoming election and how young people can get involved as voters and volunteers, we are joined by two awesome guests from the Campus Vote Project. Um, I'd like to welcome Sierra Malone, the Georgia State Coordinator from the Campus Vote Project. Welcome, Sierra.
3: Thank you, I'm excited to be here.
2: Yeah, and also Rachel Clay, the Southeast Regional Coordinator. Welcome, Rachel.
4: Thank you so much. Thanks for having both of us.
2: Yeah, we're excited to have you both on. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, Well, to just get us started here, uh, let's start. Rachel, can you tell us a little bit more about the mission of the Campus Voter Project and what your role of the Southeast Regional Coordinator entails?
4: Yeah. So I'm the Southeast Regional Coordinator. So I'm in charge of the work that we do in North Carolina, Tennessee, South Carolina. And I sort of am like Sierra's point person. I used to be in charge of Georgia, but now Sierra's got Georgia on lock. I don't even have to touch it anymore. She's really got it figured out. So I'm kind of the <laughs> coordinator of this region. I had, I had a hand in Virginia for a while, um, but I work really, really closely in North Carolina as well as Tennessee. And then just sort of peripherally support the work in these other states. Um, And CVP's mission is is pretty simple. Um, We don't really do a lot of the -the on-the-ground voter engagement work that other organizations do. We aren't really out there registering people. We work directly with college administrators to institutionalize voter engagement. Um, So our idea is to take some of these really good ideas that students come up with and turn them into policy and create sustainable change on campuses so it's more of a culture shift around voting instead of just hitting the ground running every couple of years. Um, We really believe that higher educational institutions have a civic mission so um, we're just trying to push colleges and universities to take that responsibility more seriously Um, so yeah.
0: Very cool it sounds like a really great mission and you're doing a lot of great work uh, Rachel and I met in a past life doing campus organizing, oh. so it's great to to find each other um, in this space. Uh, Sierra, can you tell us a little bit about your responsibilities as the Georgia State Coordinator and some of the stuff that you've been working on in Georgia? I know Georgia's always been in the news uh, when it comes to voting. There's always something happening. Oh,
3: that is for sure, sure. So similar to what Rachel said, I work with administrators and students on college campuses and universities throughout the state of Georgia to help further reforms that they're making to institutionalize civic engagement. And so right now, like you said, Georgia is always in the news because there's always something going on in Georgia. And so right now we've Really have been talking a lot with students to figure out what are the main issues that they're having, what are they experiencing, and what would they like to do to help their campus community. And so we've been tackling a lot of issues regarding misinformation, trying to make sure that there's enough staff at polls so that students and communities aren't waiting in super long lines like they were in the Georgia primaries, kind of tackling some of the straightforward issues that are going to be happening come November, but also working, like Rachel said, to help further policy at their institutions that will make sure that civic engagement is something that's talked about beyond election day, beyond election season in the state of Georgia.
2: Awesome. So really uh, trying to make this sustainable. I'm I'm like thinking back to my college years, which I'm realizing are like 10 plus years ago now. Um, and I, it was hard, I remember it was hard to vote and it felt like we were starting from scratch uh, even then. You know, um, it was like we, the, the town did not want college students voting there. Um, and so unless you lived off campus, it was really, really hard to vote. Um, And so I imagine now uh, during this pandemic and with uh, so many schools doing online learning and that sort of thing, it's actually even harder. Um, You don't have the opportunity to grab somebody as they're walking past a, a campus table or in their hallways, you know, heading between classes and you don't have as much of an opportunity for word of mouth in-person engagement. So um, what are some of the challenges that young people and college students are actually gonna face in this upcoming election? I mean, I know that's college campuses, but also like across the board.
3: No, that's a great question. So I know specifically in the state of Georgia, there things, times have changed a little bit. And so we've been able to do certain things like making sure that some college campuses are in fact voting locations for a lot of students. And in Georgia, what we found has been a problem is that a lot of students don't have a voting plan that you guys talked about prior to this, right? And so they will just go to their on-campus voting location and they think that they can cast their ballot. And then upon arriving, they realize this isn't actually the location that was meant for them. A lot of college campuses will split half of their campus, right? So even if you're registered to vote on campus, maybe half of the campus is registered on campus, but then the other half is registered at a church that's down the street or something like that. And so making sure that we have voting plans, making sure that you're gonna vote early so that you can, so at least if there's a problem, you can maneuver it prior to election day is something that's really important and something that's been hitting home for a lot of Georgia college students. And so that's one thing that we've been working on a lot is making sure that students have a campus, a voting plan, knowing where they're gonna vote, how they're gonna vote, what's required once they get to the polls. is something that's really important. Also, just because in this election, we've seen a lot of misinformation, and this isn't something new to this election, but it's something that's really rampant, especially due to social media and how much we have to use social media, because, like you said, people aren't in person. You can't just pull somebody that's walking down the campus screen or anything like that. We have to make sure that we're spreading accurate information, because I think a lot of times, People see things on social media and they go with it, and they don't really know where it came from or who's providing those sources. And then once they get to the polls, it's not what they thought it was.
2: Yeah, I feel like a, a challenge, like a challenge at the best of times, um, and uh, you know, so much. So as you said, so much misinformation or you know, purposeful disinformation uh, floating, floating around out there, complicating things. Um, yeah, so what are some of the challenges that voters in Georgia and the Southeast in particular are facing?
3: Um, I'd say the biggest thing is polling location lines. Right now, you saw it in our primaries. We had extremely long lines in a lot of urban areas, especially especially like the city of Atlanta, lines were hours long. And that's something that we must anticipate for November, but do not <laughs> necessarily want to be the case especially because people don't have three, four, five hours to be waiting in line to go and it's just not reasonable. So that's one really big issue that we want to make sure doesn't happen come this November in the state of Georgia.
2: Yeah, well, I'm really glad you guys are doing work on that. And we're about to head to commercial break, but I want to pick up on some of those challenges um, that you're looking at and trying to find solutions for. Um, You're listening to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show, and we will be right back.
1: If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at lesliemarshallshow.com. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Marshall and we'll be sure to share your tweets.
0: Hello. And hello, and welcome back to the Generation Progress takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your co-host Edwith Theogene, and I'm your co-host Charlotte Hancock. Thank you. Welcome, welcome, Charlotte. Um, so <laughs> we're back, and today we are talking about poll workers. We're joined with Sierra Malone, um, Georgia State Coordinator for Campus Vote Project, and Rachel Clay, Southeast Regional Coordinator, Campus Vote Project. Um, so. To, we're going to start off with um, one potential issue that's received a fair amount of attention in recent weeks is the need for more poll workers to serve on election day. Um, Rachel, can you tell us a little bit um, why poll workers are so important?
4: Yeah, I mean, without poll workers, it doesn't voting in person doesn't happen. It doesn't work. Um, so poll workers are really sort of the the human cogs in the machine of democracy um, and. The average age of poll workers has steadily and steadily increased over the past 10 years or so to the point where most poll workers are um, in an age group that is at risk for, you know, having, getting COVID and not recovering from it. Um, So we're definitely pushing for young people to sign up for these roles. Um, Most poll workers are over the age of 60. Um, D.C. lost 1,700 election workers during primary voting this past season. So that shows you just how many election workers we're losing. Um, And so, yeah, we're just trying to get people that are young to show up. I, myself, am signing up to be a poll worker. um, And we're hoping that with people taking the right precautions, that it'll be safe for young people. Um, We're definitely cognizant of the fact that just because you're young doesn't mean that you're not at risk for having um, COVID mm-hmm. and having a really negative reaction to it and maybe dying from it. So people that are immunocompromised definitely should not be signing out to be poll workers and can definitely be in touch with us about how to vote absentee. Um, but it's, it, and, not, and not only that, but when we have less people staffing polling locations, we have longer lines, we have less locations, we have more people waiting in lines, we have voters standing in lines. So they have to wait several hours around strangers, around people they don't know, who may or may not be masked, may or may not be taking precautions. So overall, the more people we have staffing polls, the more dispersed voters can be when they do vote. And that's also a a positive of it. There's also been research even before this all happened around poll workers and how with with technology being more utilized in, in polling locations, how people that are more um, adept at using technology will also increase the how, how swiftly people can can vote at locations and lower waiting times. So even before COVID, we've been pushing younger people to be poll workers.
0: So basically the more poll workers we have, the safer voting can be for
4: folks. Exactly, and the faster, safer, safer and faster.
0: Yeah, um, and I also understand that certain poll workers also can help with like translation and making sure that voting is accessible. Um, Can you tell us a little bit, I don't know if Sierra um, or Rachel, like what does being a poll worker actually entail? Can you tell us a little bit about what's expected of them um, and some of the opportunities there?
3: Um, Yeah, so it depends a lot upon what position you choose as a poll worker. Different polling locations do have different positions for poll workers. And so a lot of the times, what mainly what they're doing is making sure that the polls like you said, are appropriately staffed, that the technology is functioning appropriately and efficiently, and that they're able to navigate issues for voters once they get to the polls. So whether or not, just being able to tell you whether you're at the right voting location or not, and making sure you know how to use the polling devices that are at your polls. It depends on where, you're, where you are and what state you're in, kind of how your ballot gets cast. But for the state of Georgia specifically, there is a process that, You have to put your card in a machine, take your card out. Your ballot then gets printed and then put into another machine. And so the poll workers are basically there to make sure all of that runs efficiently. There's usually a person there that runs the technology. There's people there that are going to be sanitizing the cards you use, the stations that you're touching, anything like that. There will also be people there to help you fill out provisional ballots, as well as most of the time. At most locations, there should also be someone there that typically at least speaks Spanish and is able to translate in one language.
2: Interesting. So, if somebody wants to sign up to be a poll worker, where do they go? And then, I guess, uh, listening to all of that, it sounds like that's those are all super helpful things that everybody needs at the polls. So, do you get you get training, or how does that work? I'm I'm asking this as much for myself as for our listeners. I'm like, cool. Now, what do I do? <laughs>
3: <laughs> so I actually was a poll worker for the first time in the primary elections in Georgia back in August. So I can tell you from my experience that oh well for one, in order to be a poll worker, you can visit powerthepolls.org and you'll, so, you'll sorry,
2: it's power of power of the the
3: Write
2: it down. Cool. Awesome.
3: And typically once you fill out your form, it will take you to the designated website for your district. And then you'll be able to, you'll usually fill out another form for your specific district and a polling elections worker should call you in regards to you working your polls. Sometimes you don't receive a phone call and that might just be one because they have an influx of volunteers and they're not able to get to everybody and your locations in your district might already be staffed. But typically you'll get a phone call after applying maybe like a week or two later. And for the most part, while I was being a poll worker, we received an online election, an online election training. So typically, you do have an in-person training. However, due to COVID nineteen, not every county is doing that. So I watched an online training, and then you get there the day before, typically to set up and they'll kind of go through the works with you and show you everything that you're supposed to be doing. It's usually a fairly simple process. That is supposed to be what voting is, right? Voting shouldn't be a difficult process. So it's usually fairly simple, and you're there from the open till close until everybody in the line is gone. So it is a long day, but it's a fulfilling day, and we definitely need people to be poll workers. And you get paid. (laughs) You do get paid. Oh, you, yeah. And let, let that be known as well. I think a lot of times people mistake this person for a kind of volunteer position, and it can be if you wanted volunteer hours for it. However, typically most poll workers get paid, and you get paid not only for working that day, but also for the training and the setup that you go through the days before.
0: Does that is that so vary,
3: cool.
0: Did that vary according to district, or that's just like across the board?
3: Most poll workers get paid. Now, the amount that you get paid does vary sometimes according to the district or the state that you're in. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay. I know that there's also been some businesses and companies, um, Center for American Progress being one of them, that is offering people either time off or providing like additional pay for folks who want to volunteer to be uh, poll workers. Um, I think Old Navy was one of them as well. So you can work with your office or job or wherever you work to see if poll working could be a thing that you can do. So that's pretty cool. Very cool.
3: And I think also just most importantly, make sure that you know what's going on in your state. I know in the state of Georgia, you cannot be a poll worker in a county that you are not registered to vote in. So you have to make sure that you're, you're able to vote. You're volunteering at the right locations as well.
2: That was just gonna be one of my follow-up questions. Okay, well, I have a few more questions about this, but we are heading into a commercial break. Um, So I'm gonna, I'm going to save those for a couple minutes from now. Uh, But just to ground everybody, we are the Leslie Marshall Show. You're listening to the Generation Progress Takeover. um, And we will be back in just a few minutes uh, to talk a little bit more about how you can become a poll worker in 2020 elections.
1: Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at lesliemarshallshow.com.
0: Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. We're joined by Campus Vote Project to talk about poll workers. We have our guests, Sierra Ballone and Rachel Clay, um, and also Charlotte, my co-host. Hello. Welcome back, everybody. Hi. So jumping right back into conversation, we've been talking about poll workers and Election Day. Um, Rachel, between now and Election Day, what are the steps that young people should take to make sure that they're ready to vote?
4: Um, okay, so if they want to be a poll worker, they should go to uh, powerthepolls.org, powerthepolls.org. Um, if they have not registered yet to vote, they should register as soon as possible. Um, it, it's The deadline is coming up in October for a lot of states. I say go ahead and do it. Um, go ahead and get it done. Um, for people that are college students or for anyone in general, um, you can vote wherever you feel your home is. Um, you just have to have been residing at that address for 30 days by the day you vote. So if you're a college student, you can vote at the college you attend or you can, vote back, or you can register to vote back at home where your parents live. It's up to you. You just have to only vote in one. Um, after you register to vote, come up with a plan to vote. Um, know if you're gonna do absentee voting, if you're gonna do in-person voting, if you're gonna vote on election day, find out what your precinct is and have a plan and bring a friend. Um, I know that bring a friend in social distance, um, of course, you know, voting is a social activity, so we want to make sure everybody is talking to their friends about this, making it be the thing that people do together, um, because we, we, I mean, all of us are going to be affected together by all the policy that's enacted by the people we elect, so, and it's, in statistics show that if you come up with a plan to vote, you're significantly more likely to actually go out and vote, so just come up with a plan, um, Campus Vote Project has 50 state student guides. So if you go to campusvoteproject.com, our website, we have a student voting guide on every single uh, for every single state. So if you have questions about how to vote in a certain state, go to the website and you can print that out and you can look at it and check it out if you're confused. Um, and yeah, that's everything. Um, make sure you know what's going to be on your ballot. Make sure that you. I think it, I. I doubt this changes. I don't know. I, at least in North Carolina, I can say this for a fact you are allowed to bring a cheat sheet. And I have been working in elections for four years and I've literally never voted without a cheat sheet. So there's definitely nothing wrong with it. Um, so if sorry, you're sorry, what, you, what do you mean by cheat sheet? If you don't mind oh. me interrupting. Oh, of course. Yeah. A cheat sheet. So you can go onto your elections website and you can print out a sample ballot. So you can see exactly what your ballot's going to look like before you vote. And if it's your first time voting, it really is a new experience. It's like, there's just nothing like it. So you get handed It's an amazing ballot. experience, too. It's incredible, yeah. And it's in, it's in, incredible and intimidating, um, especially for people that are not, you know, 18 that are voting for the first time, that maybe there's a little less targeted information to them. So non-traditional students or just people that are older that are just voting for the first time. Um, so you can t- print out your sample ballot. You can write it down on a piece of paper, and you can write down exactly who you plan to vote for. And you can look at that and vote according to that, which I always do. So you don't have to rely on just your memory of like people's names um, in order to vote. And if,
2: yeah. if you don't
4: have a, a printer, could you like look at your phone too? No, so you can't, no. you can't look at your phone. That's the, that's the one thing I've seen a lot of people like take a screenshot of a sample ballot that maybe their local, Um, Democrat or Republican branch and you can't take your phone out and check that so if it's on your phone just write it down on a piece of paper and if you don't have a printer use a a pen and paper that's I don't have a printer and that's what I'm going to do so
0: yeah I think that's really important too because a lot of people usually focus on the presidential but there's so many things that are going to be on your ballot whether you're voting for like local and state policies or voting for local offices Um, So that's also really helpful. Sometimes when I've gone to vote, they also have people handing out sample ballots. Mm -hmm. And I try to find the one that looks like according that supports like the issues that I'm interested in voting for and support the people that I'm interested in voting for. And I bring that in with me. So I know like, okay, this is what I'm voting for.
4: Yeah, definitely. So Um, I have, I have
2: another question here while we're talking about like, Uh, you know, going to vote in person or mail-in voting and stuff, I feel like I have heard so many more types of uh, ways that you can vote getting um, tossed around in conversation now than I ever have before. And I was wondering if we could sort of walk through a little bit, just like top lines, what each of those options are, recognizing that, of course, they're going to be like state by state differences and that sort of thing. But you hear people say like mail-in voting or like early in-person or like you know, deliver your mail-in ballot in person. It's just like, it seems like the options are endless. And I feel like even that is confusing just because so much of that information is new. So what are some of the different methods that people can use to cast a ballot?
3: So uh, you hit a lot of those on the mark as far as the different ways that you can vote. There is mail-in voting. There is also, you can request an absentee ballot, but you can bring your absentee ballot back to your elections office. You can vote in person, and you can early vote. And so out of all those, one, I would recommend mail-in voting, right? That's going to be the safest way to vote as of right now. And But I wouldn't necessarily say it's the easiest way to vote. It depends on what state you're in, for sure. I know in the state of Georgia, you have to send in an absentee ballot request, and then they'll send you back a ballot in the mail. And then you have to make sure that you mail know that ballot back to your elections office and it has to get there by a certain date. So when we're saying to make a plan, I think that's one of the most important things to think about is that if you're going to vote by mail, you have to make sure that you're going to get your ballot in time to send your ballot back and that it arrives in time to be counted. There's also the possibility that let's say you do request your ballot, you can you're able to bring that ballot back to your elections office. You can also vote early. There's a whole two-week period in which you can vote early. I would say the earlier the better. That way, if you get to the polls and there is a problem, you can fix that problem instead of waiting until November 3rd, and then your ballot will not be cast, right? And then you can also wait and vote on election day. So those are going to be your four main ways to vote. There's other ways if you're disabled or if you're a military service member, it gets a little bit trickier as far as absentee ballot request but for the main for the most part those are the four main ways in which you can vote got it so what i'm hearing is basically like start
2: figuring it out now like because because like, just so many, like, some of these things just have uh, so much turnaround time and that sort of thing. Like, I know that, uh, what was it, yesterday or the day before, it's, like, 50 days until the election. You're like, holy cow, that is really approaching. Uh, And it's, like, 50 days until the in-person election. But what is your deadline Mm -hmm. if you're voting by mail? Or what is your deadline if you want to vote early and make sure that you've avoided all those lines um, and that sort of thing and make sure that you just, like, get it, like, check the box, get it over and done with, if you already know who you're voting for. So, like, figure it out now is basically what i'm hearing Mm -hmm.
3: yes i think earlier the better i know in the state of georgia i believe october 12th is the deadline to request an absentee ballot however if you're waiting until october 12th to request your absentee ballot then who knows by the time that you send in your request the ballot is processed and then sent back to you by the time you mail it back and it arrives to that office will it get there by november 3rd you know what i mean so really like they don't give you the deadlines for, logistically, how long will it take the U.S. postal service to deliver your ballot and bring it back. You know, like, you kind of have to think about those logistics yourself. So mm-hmm. I say, if you, honestly, that plan needs to be figured out by October 1st. I would yeah. at least two weeks to arrive and be sent back to ensure that there's no excuse as to why your ballot did not reach the office in time. So the earlier, the better is to making voter plans.
2: Got it. Well, super interesting and helpful. And I want to come like towards the end of this conversation. I just want to make sure that we come back to a bunch of resources and stuff, because Mm -hmm. it feels, it feels like there are so many like different regulations and that it's like done by state. But I do know that like, basically if I just Google it, I find, I feel like the information is so easily available from like trustworthy websites and that sort of thing. So I am interested in making sure that we circle back on some of those trustworthy websites, including your organizational websites website. Um, very, very interesting. Um, okay, cool. So I think we don't, I think we just have a couple more minutes until our next commercial break here. I'm checking out the time. Oh, 90 seconds. Okay, so um, (laughs) I want to make sure (laughs) one of my favorite websites. um, I just want to plug it real fast. I know Rock the Vote has a great uh, website um, as well. And also, I want to ask Rachel you to name your website again um, right before we go into commercial break, um, because I feel like what you were talking about with some of those campus voter guides, like that doesn't just have to be for college students, right? Like that is something that anybody could use.
4: Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I use them. I send them to all ages all the time. Okay. And what, what is that website again? It is campus So if you just Google campus vote project, which is the organization Sierra and I work for that will pop up and there's 50 state student guides. Um, So you just, it's an interactive map. You just click on your state and it's, it's printable. It's a PDF. So you can also print them out as handouts. And it's created, here's here's the nice thing, it's created by election law attorneys. So we're a project of the Fair Election Center, which is a team of election attorneys. So people that specialize in election law created these. Not me, not Sierra, not not just your (laughs) classic, your run-of-the-mill nonprofit uh, coordinator. Oh, sorry, sorry, we're at 15 seconds. seconds. So I'm gonna come
2: right back with the Generation Progress takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show.
1: follow leslie on twitter just go to www.twitter.com slash leslie marshall and we'll be sure to share your tweets
2: welcome back to the generation progress takeover of the leslie marshall show i am your co-host charlotte hancock and i'm your other co-host edward theagene Uh, And we have some awesome folks with us today from the Campus Vote Project. Welcome back to Sierra Malone and Rachel Clay. Thank you so much for being on the show with us thus far. Really fun conversation, super interesting information. Sorry if I'm asking a bunch of dumb questions. These are not just for our listeners' sake. I am very interested in all this myself. I just feel like You know, I think about the fact that I'm 33, so I'm like, okay, so how many elections have I actually voted in and how long has it been since I last voted? It can be complicated. It can be pretty complicated, especially because guidelines just vary so much uh, state by state and district by district. So I really appreciate you guys sharing all this information with us and making sure that everybody has what they need, uh, whether they're a college student or not, to make sure that they are able to participate safely, and fairly um, in this election. Uh, so I wanted to circle back on something we were talking about just before this. Um, I think, Rachel, you were telling us a little bit about some of the um, campus guides that are you know, geared towards college students, but not just useful to, for college students and how they're helpful resources.
4: Yeah, just that um, they, we have the 50 state student guides on our website. I think I've if they haven't been plugged, campusvoteproject.org, you can find them there. And then something else that I think is really helpful is the election protection hotline. So if you do run into a problem when you're trying to cast your ballot, or you have a question, you can call 866-OUR-VOTE, 866-687-8683. And you'll be connected with an election law attorney that will be able to assist you in whatever problem you're facing. So that's, that's another thing that um, very cool i want to plug really quick awesome
2: um so uh rachel a follow-up question for you what have you been hearing from young people on the ground about this election like how are people feeling about it
4: um you know i think it's 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 so un- it's so odd it's so unfortunate that this is happening right now because in 2018 we saw a massive insur- resurgence of student voting we had student voting was the largest uptick of voting rates of any group in the country. It doubled from 2014 to 2018. It was, it was up 21 points from the last comparable election. So when we see trends like that, we're like pretty excited. And then this hit and boom, we're, we're sort of facing this new barrier when students already face so many barriers, but I'm really hopeful. I think, you know, millennials and Gen Z are the largest voting block in the country for the first time ever. Um, we have two hugely, um, salient hot topics going on right now with healthcare. when we think about COVID and coronavirus and then when we think about um, protests, police brutality, police murdering citizens. Um, all of that is affected by legislation. So even in North Carolina, I talked to my students, you know, we had the state shut down. Governor Cooper decided to do that. But North Carolina is 41st for unemployment in the country. It's, we're very bad. We, it was, it was, we were not ready to handle this. All of that is done by elected officials. When we think about Georgia, when we think about Sierra State, we think about Brian Kemp as the governor. Um, whatever you think about the way he responded to COVID and is responding now, he's an elected official. We elected somebody to decide what our state was going to do um, in response to a pandemic. When we think about police brutality, when we think about all of that, we think about sheriffs that are elected into their positions. You know, in North Carolina, we had 287G, which it was a bill the um, which would have sheriffs cooperating with ICE. So obviously you know, if you're opposed to ICE, if you're pro-immigration, if you're pro-justice for immigrants, you're going to want to have a hand in the election of the sheriff who gets to decide if they're going to cooperate with ICE or not in your community. And it did have a really drastic effect which sheriffs were elected across the state. So I'm trying to talk to students and they know this stuff. Students know this stuff. They are super engaged. They're super involved. They're so, so smart. Young people are so smart. The only barrier they have is not having the support to actually cast their ballot from the people that are supposed to be helping them. So that's where we step in and we're like this is colleges and universities responsibilities. These are adults responsibilities. It's always adults complaining about young people not voting. But who's who's supposed to be the ones helping young people vote? Who produced the young people that are going out and not having the tools to vote? The adults that are complaining about them. So I think that it's really a disconnect, you know, between asking people, a disconnect between older people and younger people and colleges and their students where people are getting blamed for something that's really not their fault. And so I think, you know, students are there. Students are there. Young people are there. There's a lot of, there's a lot of momentum. Um, We had, we had great numbers the last two years for students and I expect the trends to be exactly the same. So I I think, Love that. I think that is such a great point, Rachel.
2: I feel like uh, I hear from older generations all the time about how younger generations are disengaged. And I'm like, yo, this is the same, like younger generations have always had less, like lower levels of engagement. And we have one of the high millennials and Gen Z have one of the highest levels of engagement uh, on record um, in America history, Um, and I think that's only slated to continue ramping up. Um, It's just hard when you look at all these systemic barriers that keep getting thrown up that disproportionately impact uh, young people, that disproportionately impact people of color, that disproportionately impact first-time voters, when you've got uh, all these young people who are much more likely to be people of color than past generations, and you look at the systemic barriers that are thrown up to prevent people of color from engaging in the democratic system— Uh, I just, I mean, the the fact that we're seeing people overcoming these obstacles and sort of like fighting against those odds in order to make sure that their voices get heard um, is just amazing. So I just like props second that uh, young people are amazing. Um, Gen Z and millennials are like, like could, could totally own this election. So um, totally agree.
0: Yeah. And I think like Rachel, everything you said too, about how there's all these barriers to voting, it, it makes it really it really drives home the point how important like poll workers are to the system because they help folks to sort of like navigate all the different challenges and barriers around voting um so that's something for us to really think about so as we think about making our voting plans um we can also think about making our plans to either volunteer as a poll worker
4: definitely definitely and i have to plug while i'm on this call if you haven't filled out your census you got to fill out your census cuz I was just on a call yesterday about gerrymandering and, and colleges and campuses being split in half like what Sierra was talking about in Georgia and all the maps are going to be redrawn based on the census information that we get and they elongated it so you can still you can do it all the way into October so if you haven't done your census you need to do it it's, it's thousands of dollars per person for your state that's healthcare money that's unemployment money get that money from the federal government
0: I support that hustle <laughs> <laughs> the section is definitely, definitely important. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think that's really exciting. Um, what type of outreach would you like to see campaigns doing to young voters? Like we've talked about how important they are and some of the barriers that they have um, and also some of the ways that we're navigating these challenges. But what types of outreach do you think would be really important to see campaigns doing to make sure that young voters are voting? um, Sierra, do you have any thoughts about that?
3: Yeah, I really would like to see campaigns getting personal with students. I think in the past, a large problem that a lot of communities have seen, a lot of college communities have seen is that campuses come during election season, they tell them to go, they give them maybe some things that they can do to get to the polls, and then they leave, and then we don't see them again for another two or four years, whenever that next election cycle is, right? And so I would really like to see now, the campaigns of elected officials while also voting campaigns have the ability they have the ability to provide this wealth of resources and guidance to young people in the communities that they live in and I would like to see that one be long-term but to be really personal to the communities that they're doing outreach with right yeah um,
2: yeah, it's just I feel like it's a it's a matter of priorities, um, and it seems short sighted to not invest in uh, the future of the country when we're talking about, um, you know, who's who's voting, who has the who's going to be holding the power potentially in this election, and who's going to be holding the power in future elections. Um, so I think we are very close to reaching the end of the show, and I just want to make sure that folks have an opportunity to find more about each of you and your work. Uh, so I'm not sure if y'all want to plug personal Twitter accounts um, or just your work Twitter accounts or social media. Um, but Rachel, let's start with you. Where can folks go to learn more about um, your work and about ways to get involved?
4: So I am old school. I don't have a Twitter. Um, but <laughs> I am very, very responsive. So if you want to get in touch with me, you can email me at rclay, R-C-L-A-Y, at campusvoteproject.org. And you can find my info on our website. So if you're in North Carolina, Tennessee, or South Carolina, hit me up. If you're in another state, you can also hit me up, and I can connect you with someone that will help you. But definitely awesome. let me know.
2: And Sierra?
3: Um, same with Rachel. You can always contact me by email. It's going to be C M-A-L-O-N-E, at org. Or you can always follow me on social media. My social media names are Sierra Malone. So C-I-A-R-R-A-M-A-L-O-N-E. Awesome. Well, that is
2: all the time that we have for today. Thank you so much to today's guests, Sierra and Rachel, to our producer, Mark Grimaldi, and our senior press associate, Emily Leach, who this, pulls this together whenever we do this. Um, make sure to check out GP Generation Progress on Twitter and Instagram. We will talk to you again on our next Remote Generation Progress takeover of The Leslie Marshall Show. Have a good one, y'all. Bye,
4: everybody. Bye. Thank you Bye. again. Thank you. Woo.
1: If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com. 2020
0: took a different path than we expected, but it definitely didn't slow our pace. Planet M has helped private and public entities work together to advance the future of mobility technology along a challenging course. Working together has been the key to staying on the right path, so whether you're just getting started or already an industry leader, Planet M is your connection to Michigan's mobility ecosystem and our future. If you're ready to make a move with your business, see how we can help at planetm.com pure hyphen partnership. As we reopen, don't you want your pocket of America to still feel like its own? Where places with the best barbecue, or where you can dress like a rock star, or the one with the biggest donut, are finding new ways online and in person to be there for you. A small town feeling where your friends, instead of that chain, still recommend their guide. So, when you bring your idea to everyone, remember, GoDaddy is here to help you make it happen with websites, marketing tools, and guidance for free. Learn more at GoDaddy.com.